Welcome everybody to the Good Data Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Farnsworth. Today we have Christian Pearson on the program. Christian is a cultural critic and graduate of the University of Pennsylvania. And I wanted to have Christian on because I had this realization recently that in popular culture, the data center is the new hidden fortress. Like in movies and on TV, there's often this plot point that someone needs to break into a data center to steal a file or something. And I wondered why. Like, why is it that data centers are a symbol of value the way that banks used to be a symbol of value? And that launches us off into some pretty weird territory regarding data centers and science fiction in general. We realize that half of the Mission Impossible movies have some sort of a scene in a data center. But, of course, all of the data centers in these movies are heightened and look nothing like reality. Also, if you're worried that this won't have any technical discussions of data centers, not to worry. We have an oddly long discussion of data center water filtration, so stay tuned for that. Christian was a great guest, and I'm excited to share this conversation. Let's go. Welcome to Good Data. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Glad to be be on the show. So today we're doing something a little bit different. We're talking about pop culture and how that relates back to data center specifically because that's sort of the cause for this whole podcast thing to exist. One of the most interesting things to me about data centers is that they're almost always there as a plot device to be broken into. It's so funny. I never thought about that before. Like, I guess it's like the modern equivalent of like the bank or something like that, or the uh, safety deposit box. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's an impenetrable fortress that has something important in it. And because we live in the information age, it's the perfect sort of icon of information. So it probably speaks to the fact that like information, like literally is such a commodity these days that like, it really does have a lot of kind of economic importance tied to it. If you think about like, you know, the, you already mentioned these companies, Google and Facebook, like really they're just companies that sell back information that they gather from their users. Right. It, it, it's one of those things that it's just in terms of storytelling, information is almost accidentally replacing money as a important piece of storytelling that as stories get more technological, information becomes the commodity through which that story gets told. Yeah, I also think it's probably due to st- easier to steal like a flash drive than it is like 10 pounds of cash. But it's also, it's also funny because you know how the trope of heist movies is to crawl through a duct? Yes. Well, I've actually been in many, many ducts in data centers and similar buildings that are big enough that you can like walk through them. So <laughs> it's not that far-fetched. I was going to say, have you thought about like dropping down Tom Cruise style? I've thought about it, yeah. <laughs> I think it would be, um, I, it's almost something, I, I was actually commissioning a data center and I was in the return duct for a big air handler and it was like 30 feet above the ground. And I really thought about like just popping my head out and being like, you know, have like a heist movie moment or uh, or like taking my camera and just getting a video as if I'm trying to break into the space. I think it would have been worth it. Well, that's why, you know, I mean, that's why data centers are interesting from a story generation is that they are actually fortresses as well, or they're supposed to be. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about Tom Cruise, but I actually was thinking like data centers of like in the Mission Impossible series, starting from the first one, like yeah. data centers have like always been like really a key point of the story. Yeah, exactly. Of the action, actually. Like literally, that scene in yeah. um, the first Mission Impossible was like so tense and it was part of. A data center or you know like like a computer interface yeah um, and there's another one i can't remember if it was the most recent one but it was like a center where they had to like it's uh 
it's I want to say it's like ghost protocol. You know, that's right. I think you might be right. Yeah, it's so, re remind it's me. It's one with Alec Baldwin. It's one with Alec Baldwin. Yeah, and and uh, he has to like swim for a very long time. Is that the one? Yes, exactly. So it's like this water cooled system, and then part of it is that like he breaks into the system by swimming through the water ducks. Is there like anything in real life where that could be like, like like ten percent even could be like possibly feasible based on a real system out there? <laughs> that particular movie, um, three percent. So <laughs> the the weird thing is that the the design of the. Um, the water system was more akin to like a nuclear reactor, like a fusion reactor. It it, it was not really like a, what you would use for a cooling system. But uh, water cooling is a big deal in data centers. It just doesn't look like that. Like I actually know somebody and they had a system that would pull water in from the ocean and um, use that to cool the data center. Okay. So there was actually like this crazy, like 50 foot tall, 50 foot wide filter that was on a wheel that would like, as the fish got sucked in, it would sort of keep moving around like a, uh, on a, almost like a um, belt sander. It would just keep moving around this belt, um, this gigantic grate. And that would be more realistic than what was in that movie. <laughs> Whatever that was, was just kind of what totally cool. To the, what happens to the fish? I think they die. <laughs> I'm not. I. I'm not sure, but I. They. There's some way to scrub it out. Um, yeah. They. They might. I think they definitely get shot with water, and then return yeah. to the ocean. But I don't know if they're fine afterwards or not. Like that. They. they the screen gets cleaned with water, and I'm sure some of the fish. Yeah, some of them probably. And I, I don't know how they actually did it, but I, I just know that that you know it's actually really hard to use water from like actual biological sources because biological sources call like you would think that the salt water would corrode um, all the gears and infrastructure and everything, but it's actually also the living material like barnacles and uh, yeah. w shrimp or whatever would lay eggs that uh, gets into all the systems and, and degrades it and stuff is it is like there's so many details to that kind of stuff that you don't necessarily think about and actually i bet seeing uh, a giant screen that it goes around a wheel would actually be really good cinema like it would be kind of cool to yeah. see that and see how how Tom Cruise would have to navigate that, like getting caught in this giant wheel. Like it it could be really interesting. Yeah, that or he gets caught and somebody sprays him like off and he falls into the ocean. Yeah. Like a dead fish. But I still like so I'm gonna have to like look this up. <laughs> Maybe All I know is that. that that was an initial design and that, that the actual, um, they do that in nuclear power plants. Uh, they do that type of um, filtration. Friends and I had a joke about Google having like a moon base on the dark side of the moon. It could be. I mean, it seems if anybody was to have like a villainous kind of like secret moon base, I think at this point you'd have to accept that it would be Google. Yeah, I mean, given that their mission statement includes the term "don't be evil," I think that there's a good chance that they are very evil. Yeah, exactly. Because they know that they have the, they can do it. Like they know that they're like basically set up to be like a James Bond style evil corporation. Right. So if you have to remind yourself not to be evil, then that's a sign that you're pretty much evil. Yeah, that's the thought. Yeah, it's funny too that it's always a monolithic. You know, there's so many in in movies. There's so many monolithic organizations that uh, that they almost have to be nameless, or or the name doesn't matter. A for like liability reasons that they don't yes. want to get sued for being too similar to a actual company, and B yep. because there's something very scary about a corporation that you don't know what it does. 
Does that make sense? Like, you know, there's so many like weird conglomerates or there, there have been so many weird conglomerates. It's like, oh, there could be some arm of this conglomerate that is poisoning babies or something and we wouldn't have any idea. And even like the president of the company might not have any idea. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the other thing is too. It's like, I think people in general just are concerned that like some of this information might be accidental. I mean, it's not really even the af- af- like information. I think it's the concern that like, in the move towards progress that there might be these missteps or moral lapses that because there's no person at the center of the wheel kind of paying attention to the like the general progress of like society as like we relate to technology that like again it's like it's almost like it's easier when there's like somebody evil to point a finger at but when it might just be like us collectively just kind of like going about our day and not paying attention like that seems like that's actually a deeper fear, like a deeper rooted fear that people have. But like, I guess it like, it's like ultimately like life may have no meaning. Like it's, it's easy to think that like, oh, like, you know, there's like a bad guy, right? There's gotta be a bad guy at the end of the day. But the fact that like, oh no, it might just be like a circumstance. Yeah. Yeah, it might be all of us. They're right, that's almost more nihilistic. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 the the feeling that like, Oh, well, this is just inevitable. Somehow this system will emerge and uh, we can't do anything about it. It's just going to be some back room in a corporation. And uh, even the CEO might not really understand it. Uh, but usually the CEO is the bad guy. Usually, I think. Yes, usually like, the CEO is the bad guy. Yeah. But uh, uh, personally, I almost feel like that's not as believable because I've known a lot of bumbling CEOs that didn't necessarily know. Or I shouldn't say bumbling, but people who aren't aware of every day-to-day operation that's under their roof. Yeah, I mean, it's like, even if, like, you are, like, on top of it, like, I think there's a limit to how much one person can have an awareness about a a corporation that's, like, hundreds of billions of dollars in size. Yeah. Like, it's kind of an impossible task, especially if you consider, like, a lot of these, like, technology information companies have, like, GDP that's, like, bigger than most nations. You you wonder, <laughs> you wonder if uh, you know they have they have a lot of subsidiaries and they have a lot of Alphabet, for instance, um, has a lot of pieces to it. So the Google portion is probably understood pretty well because that's mostly search and they they cut that out. But then they have like the X thing and they they have so many different pieces of their business. But so much the the revenue comes from Google to pay for all this other moonshot stuff. So I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if there is somebody in a back room that is doing something not necessarily intentionally nefarious, but is, uh, I'll just throw it out there, accidentally coming up with a general AI that could take over the world. Like that to me is like the most likely scenario yeah. for uh, robots to come about, like a uh, self-conscious AI to come about is an accident that, you know, yeah, that, that it's they, just like some machine learning system that had, that they were so focused on the machine learning aspect of it. They didn't think about like how sophisticated this machine might become. Right. Right. That, that, you know, you can, you could layer all these different neural nets on top of each other and just kind of see what happens. And who knows what would happen? <laughs> you know, it, yeah. It, yeah. Wasn't it like that computer like program that they had to shut down because like they were developing their own language and then the programmers couldn't understand what they were saying? You know what's crazy about that? That's common. That's how they usually do it. Like I think that was yeah. a Facebook article, but that um, when when developing AI, especially communicative AI, that uh, it often develops its own language because especially if it's just talking to itself it can find a more efficient way to talk to itself um which is kind of scary <laughs> like you know that in terms of teaching a computer how to play go it can play 10,000 lifetimes worth of go in in a couple days and same thing can be true of language and all that i mean the other big one that that is a fear mongering trope of science fiction is is AI. So <laughs> I think, you know, there's a reason why it's scary is that it, it could take over the world and really be harmful. But also it's 
the unknown and it's it's they always give it kind of an anthropomorphized um voice or something or body but yeah it's also just this very other like you know technological thing that that is very foreign and i think that's part of the reason why it's scary yeah well have you seen the movie ex machina yeah that was amazing wasn't it but that's actually like a really good movie too because it I, if i recall correctly the company that ends up making the ai is actually kind of like a internet search marketing company and one of the reasons that they select uh the character played by donald gleason is because they're able to look up his search history and find out that he's like the perfect person and the robot in turn is like uh designed to match what he would look for i guess in a romantic partner so that he is particularly susceptible to the turing test right uh, so it's like like a kind of like funny um case study as far as like pop culture is concerned because it kind of like touches on everything that we're talking about right which is like the idea that like you could have this like super sophisticated ai um who becomes self-aware but then armed with all this information that we're just kind of like throwing into the ether about ourselves is that like a potential exposure at the very least you know it's something that like i think speaks to our anxiety about these new technologies and what they can mean for our future yeah well especially you know kind of coupling machine learning with the amount of information that's out there it's amazing how little information is necessarily needed when it's got the right algorithm behind it to identify a person yeah like uh gate analysis like the way you walk is uh actually like a 99 percent accurate or it can be 99 percent accurate identifier and then you look back at your location history, that's an incredibly good identifier, you know, because it shows you where you've been, like you've yeah. been to your house and you go to work and boom, they know who you are. And, you know, th there's so many little pieces of personal information that we put out there that are now able to be combed and aggregated by these machine intelligence or you know or or really just bots i mean it doesn't have to yeah. be that intelligent but you know the the whole cambridge thing where that data was used to target people to send them misinformation i think that's one of the most likely scenarios in real life of of yeah. how really nefarious things are going to continue to happen is that the that data is going to get combed and put together and there's going to be some kind of system that targets people to tell them the exact story that they'll believe, <laughs> um, yep. which is already definitely happening, but it's pretty yeah. messed up. No, it's crazy. I was actually having dinner with a friend of a friend who um, worked in kind of like marketing analytics. And like, I had no idea how sophisticated the information was that is collected about people where it's like literally specific to the person and then two it's like that that what was it it was like cvs a couple of years ago where like a woman her parents found out she was pregnant because of the types of things that she was buying it and the coupons that right. she, like she was given um just like that level of specificity as far as like the algorithms are used and then what they can kind of like hone in on about you from the information that they collect um, but I say all that to say it's really crazy because like as far as like the election concerned was concerned apparently like the biggest thing is that they convinced people to be inactive so it was that it was like the people who are on the fence either about Hillary or about voting in general they were able to convince them through a targeted campaign to to not act and that part is like the i think the scariest consequence we're kind of like talking about like riling up as far as like the overall kind of like media discussion is concerned but it seems like what happened is actually much more sinister where it's like they kind of warped people's sense of reality that they felt like they didn't have to participate in the democracy or if they felt that there was like i don't know like there was an equality on both sides between like the craziness of donald trump and the uh the rhetoric of, of Hillary Clinton.
Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing that there are so many different ways to influence an election. It, that yeah. keeping people home is also influencing an election. Yeah, and, and again, there's like technology that's sophisticated to do that. Yeah. Well, and and Facebook even like did they do their weird sort of scientific experiments on people who play who use Facebook, where yeah. they had one that was. They, they sent a message to a certain population that said, hey, go out and vote. And another population who didn't, they didn't send that to you. And then they they somehow tracked it. I, I believe I, I might be making up that specific one, but there was some sort of get out the vote effort that they tracked. And they knew that they made a difference, but it's a little, also a little bit shady that they're experimenting on normal people. Today's episode is brought to you by Green Lane Design. Green Lane has been designing, engineering, and building critical facilities for over 10 years, including major enterprise customers as well as co-location facilities. GLD has designed and developed an integrated stack of design disciplines. If you would be interested in a free assessment, go to greenlanedesign.com, click on contact, and mention the podcast. The other thing is too, I remember, I think it was like a radio lab or something like that. They were talking about like Facebook and specifically, I think it's like a part of their like push unit or what would be a push unit in like another context where they had all these sociologists and they're like, hey, like we have like this, the sophisticated tool of Facebook that we're used to using for, um, you know, selling marketing, but like we want to use it for social good too. Like, what are the things that, like, you think would be effective as far as studies are concerned? And so the thing that was kind of mind-boggling to these sociologists is that, like, they're used to, like, most sociology studies are, like, done on a handful of people. They're getting, like, what they, not even assume, but, like, what their best um, approximation of a significant size of the population. But generally speaking, it's only a few thousand people as opposed to Facebook, which has the ability to tap into like millions of people. It's like, do you wanna like, we can call information from, I don't know, how much of the human population is like on Facebook? Like not just like, you know, the population of like college kids who like need five right. bucks and are right. like, wanna get a free lunch, like literally the whole human population. Right, yeah, like half of every human, <laughs> half, of, half yeah. of all the humans. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, statistically that must be, um, that must be so exciting as a statistician to be like, oh, well, we don't have to worry in some ways about getting a sample size because we're talking about the entire population of people. Uh, <laughs> it's like, you know, you almost don't have to do the, the math on it because you just have everybody. I mean, it's not quite like that because I'm sure people hold back and, and there's there's other statistical tricks they have to do, but it's it's kind of... I don't think that's ever, ever, ever been the case, except in, unless you're looking at like census data, but census data is only once every 10 years. It's not like it's every yeah. day or every hour. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And like the census is so unique too, that's like even like as far as like something that America started, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to talk about, um, the show Black Mirror. Yes. Um, yes. And <laughs> um, I'd seen a couple episodes, but uh, the, you know, all the sort of sinister tech pieces that, that go into that show. Um, you know, there, there's a lot that has to do with memory and um, socialization and uh, I guess, um control like government control but like what what do you think there's definitely themes so what are the themes that you see in that show and why do you think they're themes yeah that's a really good question um as far as like themes in the show well certainly like you said memory is a big part of that show i'd also say just identity too there seems to be like a bunch of episodes where um the nature of reality. So there's, I'm thinking specifically of any episode, and there's, there's been a few where they talk about 
um, downloading a copy of somebody's personality onto the the web essentially and uh, a lot of those episodes and there's been more than one I think there's at least three I can think of there is the Christmas special which is like I think pretty well known where John Hamm shows up as like a it's like part of a prison sentence where you like get your brain downloaded and have to like relive the worst moment of your life um, like hundreds and thousands or at least until eternity Um, and then there's another one where there's a bunch of them so anyway it seems that like one of the big issues that the show is addressing is that as we interface with technology and we have like artificial intelligence that like not only is like equal to our own but can like totally kind of like approximate someone's experience and someone's consciousness like what does it really mean to be human and besides that like morally what responsibility do we have to something that is maybe not human in the sense that they have a body but as far as faculties are concerned like mirror any person you can find on the street which i think is kind of an interesting question it's like uniquely explored in that show yeah it it comes down to personhood and identity and you know what does it mean to be a a person like you know there's this sort of age-old question if there was a conscious android would they have human rights or you know would would they be extended the same rights as as people um and but so again, kind of, no, no, no. I was going to ask your thoughts about that because it. I think it's actually even something more nuanced than that too. Because I think we, you know, through however many years of science fiction, are used to the idea of like a robot and whether or not a robot has rights. But even just like a collection of data that amounts yeah. to a consciousness, like what what rights does that have? And right. What does that mean? where like well, there's no physical aspect to it really. Right. Yeah. If it, I mean, there's already a lot of bots out there that are doing very complicated things, especially related to the stock market, that are very intelligent, that uh, are self-perpetuating and don't just live on one server, but, you know, are, are moved around. I mean, you talk about uh, you talk about a computer virus that spreads. It has its yeah. own sort of autonomy to to move around to different uh, nodes and and users. Those things have a lot of the the hallmarks of life. <laughs> Not to say that they're there yet, but you could imagine that something that we just think of as as a bug, as a computer bug, um, is important in some way. And maybe it's you don't call it alive, but you you have to realize that there's some kind of uh, import to it and it's not just something that that should be thrown away maybe not a computer virus but something along those lines like you know there's there's more and more of an ability now for a program to move from one computer to another to another to another in fact they do that constantly uh these days that it's it's not like a computer program sits here in philadelphia and then moves to san francisco uh, or you have to actually, you don't have to move the box to move it from San Francisco, San Francisco. You can have a virtual server that is backed up in San Francisco and will spin up automatically if the one in Philadelphia fails. So it, it it's like they have more, computer programs have more actual autonomy than they ever did. So it, it's a little creepy already, I think. Yeah. Um, not to, I mean, it's, it's all sort of science fiction-y and, and of course I'm not really creeped out because I understand all the, the back end of it and it's not like this is nefarious in any way, but there's also something where you, where you can see the trajectory of how things have changed, um, yeah. which is a little creepy. Yeah. And there's like an as- accidental like aspect to how sophisticated it is and that yeah. like it, it's, 
kind of like mirroring life because it has like a well, I mean, it makes sense, right? Because it's like, uh, what's the, the term that uh, necessity is the uh, mother of invention? Yeah. And so, like, like if you need to create, recreate, which is essentially like a life problem, which is like, okay, it's like I have, like, information that I need to propagate. Like, why wouldn't that look like a virus, which looks like a virus that, like, exists in the biological world? Or why wouldn't it look like... I don't know, like the meeting or the like a single cell work. I don't know. It's just it's an interesting thought. I guess I never had realized how sophisticated things were already without having consciousness. That doesn't. That's not really. Yeah, I, I in some ways, like there, there is already um, enough computing power in the globe to. Yeah. I, I think to have human level of consciousness, it's just not all working together that, you know, there, there's so much, even that's just going into just stupid algorithms. Like, like, I mean, stupid as in they're not actually producing useful work, but, but yeah. like Bitcoin and things like that. Like there's, there's so much that is possible to do with computers that, uh, you know, in some ways, it's like out of that could legitimately emerge some kind of consciousness. Um, and I definitely think that it could come out of Wall Street or something where, where somebody is making uh, money off of an algorithm that, uh, you know, the more you make money off it, the more you're going to put resources to it. And the more you put resources to it, probably the better it gets, but also the more that it can get out of control. So... I think that, you know, in terms of a movie that I would want to make, <laughs> I'd be interested yeah. to, to hear like, you know, a, a Wall Street uh, trader who accidentally creates something that that ran amok. Because um, I do think yeah. like it would be an accident. Um, have, you seen, already yeah. have you ever seen the movie Primer? Yes, I have seen Primer. I like that movie a lot. Yeah. And one of the things I like about it, uh, it's about these two guys who... It's kind of a spoiler, but uh, they make a time machine by accident. And I think that's such an interesting premise. And um, I definitely think that's how it would actually happen, is that somebody is trying to do something. And in this case, it's in a garage. But in, in reality, it could be in some lab someplace where they're doing something very strange and... Uh, it just happens to have some unintended consequence that ends up being the feature that you actually want. Yeah. I mean, uh, how true that just is in general, like invention too, is that like a lot of things are done by accident. Yeah. I mean, the, the classic example is penicillin that that was, yeah. that was an accident to leave something out and it was, started to grow mold. Chocolate chip cookie, but yeah, no. Yeah. Chocolate chip cookies is good too. <laughs> um, I actually forget the story of chocolate chip cookies, but, uh, I think they were trying to make like a chocolate cookie and then thought that they could do that by like just like adding chunks of chocolate. Oh. See? Yeah, I don't think it was a very smart person who created the chocolate <laughs> chip cookie, but like at least we got the chocolate chip cookie. Yeah, right? Yeah. I kind of like always imagined it as like a just like kind of like a like kind of drunk house mom who's like, oh, yeah, we just there's some chocolate. And, uh, Making chocolate cookies. Wait, what are yeah, these chips exactly. doing still? Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, I got you off track. No, that's a, I wasn't. Yeah, there's no track to this. This is an off track. Yeah. <laughs> it's an off track experience. Um, but also, uh, I one other show. Do you watch Mr. Robot? So I started Mr. Robot, but I haven't watched it recently. I haven't watched it recently either. Yeah. It was one that I, I really appreciated and was really good. It got very dark sometimes and um, uh, sort of went in too many circles and, and was a little bit too self-referential. And But I still appreciated it, you know? <laughs> I, yeah. I liked it. Um, but that was another one where they actually had to go to a data center and actually break into a data center. And data centers were, were so central to it. I do remember that episode because that's like the end of the first season, right? Where they like, yeah. hack into the, yeah. 
And so it was like this whole thing where, okay, we got to destroy this part, but we also have to destroy the tapes and we got to, you know, the backup tapes and we got to destroy like all these different levels of things at the same time so they could make sure that the financial data was all corrupted or ransomware uh, right at the exact same time, which is pretty much how you would have to do it. Um, And they, they kind of went two levels deep and, from my knowledge of financial institutions, they would have had to go a few more levels to actually get everything. Um, but it was it was one of those shows that really did think about the actual physicality of technology, which I thought was really cool. That you don't see that very often. In the sense that, like these, like all this information is tied to like these, like redundant data centers somewhere in the world. Yeah, yeah, because they had to they had to do it in um, actually uh, literally they they went to Ashburn, Virginia. They they land in Dulles and take a car to Ashburn, Virginia, and that is where like the majority of or the the biggest sort of data center hub in the world is in Ashburn, Virginia, um, because it, it it sort of grew up organically, but the power was cheap, and it was close to the government, and so all these government contracts went there. Uh, and also everybody else kind of followed that. So that area of Aspern, Tyson's Corner, like that that piece of Virginia is this hotbed of data centers. So they actually, in the show, go there, um, and then they have to, um, they have the backup, which is in a place called Steel Mountain or something, which is totally just a... Uh, means Iron Mountain, which is a, a backup storage place that is in real life. And then they have to destroy the tapes that are in China. And it's like this whole, like, oh, they actually did think about this. <laughs> they they, yeah. they were like, oh, yeah, we, we know what a data center is. And we, we know what programming is. And, uh, you know, is it in its own way, it was a heist movie because they had to break yeah. in and, and, you know, do the ransomware. But um, I, I don't know. Do, did you... Um, like it kind of did fall off the rails a little bit, but just in terms of the realism of it, like, did it feel, uh, accurate to you or was it like, Oh yeah, no, I mean, I think like, I don't have like a basis of comparison as far as like what the real world equivalent would be, but as far as like, I don't know, uh, making me, I think it I don't, so I'm just trying to think it's like as far as like realistic was concerned sure but like <laughs> for me it was like I think it was kind of just like uh things that I didn't think about yeah as far as like I guess that's like the like every tv show or bank guys you're like oh man that's that must be how they do it and that's how like people become kind of like armchair experts on things that they've mostly experienced through movies but I would say, uh, regardless if it's true or not, it felt like it was thought out. And then right. being thought out, like, had a level of what, I don't know, maybe it's just, like, the appearance of reality that was, like, uh, definitely, as a viewer, something different. Where it's, right. like you said, it's, like, the fact that they were thinking about like the redundancies and everything as opposed to like you know handled by like a less skilled um tv show showrunner i forget who the showrunner is but i think he's like married to um i think his name is sam esmail yes sam es- yeah um but yeah if it was handled by somebody less sophisticated i think it would have like been basically oh they go in and they hack into the system uh, using, I don't know, a dog with a radio right. collar on right. it, something sort of like that. Well, you know, it would probably be a cake. <laughs> In, it's funny, like, you know, when, when you're crafting a narrative, um, it's, it's very, uh, it's very difficult to balance how much is like just made up and how much is based in fact. And some people really put a lot of time and effort into basing something in fact, but then that really 
hampers them in, in terms of making something that's really dramatic and interesting um, because sometimes real life is very boring. Um, well, it's also but, how do you like translate like all these redundancies too that are like mostly happening invisibly like via wires or cables or air and radio connections. Right, right. It's, it's, it's like literally invisible. When these things switch over, you see nothing. Yeah. At best, you see like a blip on a screen. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that I think is most annoying about depictions of technology on screen ever since like, you know, like the movie hackers where, where they had a like three dimensional fly through of a computer or, or, yeah. you know, in, in Jurassic Water. park where they had to like, they had a three dimensional depiction of like a file system. It's like, it, they have to make some way to make it visual, but it's very rarely like it looks hokey. A lot of the time, or at least especially it did in yeah. the 90s. <laughs> it's gotten a lot better, I think. Um, you know, in, in Hollywood, it's like actually a big, really sought after job to uh, design the computer system, like the, the screens that are on computer systems in a show or a movie, um, which I, I think is probably an interesting job. <laughs> you're sort of like making a computer system um for a movie you're making it up but uh it, making some like completely fake thing yeah exactly and i i almost feel like they could just have like a linux desktop like why does it need to be fake like yeah and that'd actually probably work enough for like most people yeah like a lot of times they, they want to make it very visual and exciting but um but sometimes just like these days, a regular screen is pretty visual and exciting. There's a lot going on. Um, I don't know. It, <laughs> I think, you know, there's going to be a lot more um, technological shows on TV because of how much it's a part of our lives. Like almost every show has somebody on a cell phone looking at Facebook these days. It's yeah. ubiquitous almost to the point of being weird that you know that the the sort of line in a sitcom of uh get off your phone kids yeah has replaced like uh get stop watching tv kids um totally is that well I, sorry I, think, no, 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 I was just gonna say to you like i wonder if like uh i'm like blinking out but i think that like It's strange because, like, I mean, they used to say the same thing about, like, the novels. And it's actually it's a conversation we had, like, last week, too, right? When you're yeah. here, is that, like, there's always been this kind of issue between, like, people getting used to new technologies. But then, like, what does that mean with, like, our conception of, like, the real... It, like, I don't know, phones just, like, maybe we're just old. Maybe we're just yeah. old and, like, phones <laughs> are, like, the new thing. But, like, in the grand scheme of things, like, people are going to be fine. Right. Well, I, I, I think that a lot of times there's like a boogeyman of, of yeah. oh, this technology is going to make everything worse. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's an interesting, somewhat open question as to what would the world be like without those technologies? Would it be better or worse? Uh, but the, especially like, I, some of it does bother me and I don't want my daughter to like be glued to her phone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I have to like realize that it's gonna happen, but I don't have to be happy about it. <laughs> yeah, man, I totally understand that. I just like again, I think about like people making the same complaint about the novel. Yeah, like literally saying that it's gonna corrupt people's brains and lead them to be like uh, totally uh, physically like uh, atrophied or whatever, and like how i don't and i'm sure to a certain degree that probably is true but i don't know why like this new thing of technology seems like particularly bad and to me <laughs> it's like yeah i don't know if that's again just like me like kind of being old or like and well again you have a kid so like what do you kind of like how's what's her reaction to kind of being on her phone and having access to all these different things well 
we keep it away from her pretty well um she when she's watching tv she's glued to the tv or like uh, the few times that she's had an ipad in her hand like she's glued to it she she can't even look away she's like (laughs) she just wants it so bad um i have like a uh star wars augmented reality app on my phone so she can like drag in like an x-wing or something to to put it in the world and she's played with that for hours (laughs) she like she's like (laughs) i want to watch the robots i want to watch the robots like i I can't take it away from her it's you know she loves it and it's not even like like a, a game or anything that's really immersive but she just can't stop and I think if I had had that when I was a kid, I couldn't be, I wouldn't be able to stop either. And then I think of like how great it was to play outside and, you know, run around and play tag. And it's like, I don't, as as long as technology doesn't take away that, like as long as kids still play in the dirt and as long as like you still have a physical connection to the world and you're not just wearing a VR headset all day, I think it's fine. But there's got to, there's like with so many things, there's a limit. There's a, there's a both and it's like, yes, yes, let's do this. But also let's do that. Like, let's not lose, um, let's not lose the tactile nature of reality. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like a really good kind of question. And I'm also kind of thinking too, like, so, like, you have, like, a daughter here, like, you guys, like, really try to limit her technology exposure. Like, how does that compare when she's with somebody who has, like, a little bit more exposure to that technology? Like, is that does that become an issue? I mean, obviously, she's pretty young, so it's not like she's missing out yet. But I guess my question is, like, if you try to raise a kid who has, like, limited technology exposure, um, like what does it mean that they go into like a school environment and how does that like affect how they even like relate and communicate to like their their other their friends their their other students like you know yeah i think once she's old enough for instagram all bets are off like (laughs) you know it's you know she's she's going to have to um she's going there's going to be so much pressure for her to be into all that stuff that I don't think we're going to be able to stop her from that. And maybe we shouldn't, you know, I mean, that's, that's the way that people communicate and I get that. Uh, but for right now, man, I, I want to, <laughs> I want to make sure that, um, that she develops within her brain, you know, as much as possible, the, uh, physical reality, the presence, like, I mean, my, my argument for a lot of this stuff is that, it's so helpful for me personally to be present in a given situation, to not be distracted. And that so much of media and social media and phones and everything is all about distracting us and taking our attention and bringing our attention into this little, you know, six inch diagonal block in our hands. Like, yeah, I, I, I do think that's not ideal that, you know, that's, it's not, it's not bad to some extent, but just the the amazing draw of it. Like for myself personally, I, I set my phone to grayscale instead of color so that I'm not as enticed because, you know, the, the bright colors on screens are yeah. very alluring to the brain. So setting it to black and white, I've actually noticed my use of the phone goes down a lot. Like I don't I don't stay on it as long. Yeah. So any little tricks like that I, I take, you know, I, I want her to have that too. Yeah. Um, like a certain level of sobriety from like technology. Yeah. Like a, a healthy, a healthy sobriety. <laughs> yeah. Take, take a couple drinks, maybe, maybe have a good weekend, but <laughs> you know, don't drink every yeah. day. Well, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if this means for, uh, your future listeners, but I think about that even in the context of like podcasts where it's very rare that I leave myself alone with my own thoughts now, which is like definitely something that I'm aware of is probably a bad thing, but it's just so easy to have like, you know, a conversation that I have like some really interesting podcasts about some like things that I'm curious about how to just kind of like put that on in my quiet moments, which is 
great to have that piece of information, but then I think, well, I've kind of robbed myself of the of the moments just to kind of like mull over thoughts and let things that um, may not have naturally come into my head just kind of like flow to let kind of like the passage of ideas kind of like circle in and out. Yeah. Well, I think I agree with that. I think, you know, boredom is a fantastic tool and teacher. And, um, you know, so many of my best ideas have come out of just abject boredom and I'm not bored too much anymore. Like, yeah, I, I, I have a a constant entertainment in my pocket and it's very rare that I feel sometimes I feel overstimulated or annoyed but that's not the same as boredom. No. Uh, it's not the same as like staring someplace and, and letting your thoughts loose. Uh, and you're right. I think that's a loss. So I try sometimes to, to you know, I, I try and meditate and, and do that kind of stuff for myself. Yeah. But I don't know if it's the same thing. I think maybe... Yeah, well, no, I was just gonna say it's weird to do to like say that you need to like invite boredom into your life, but it's there's probably these level of truth to it. Well, yeah, I, I think I think boredom is actually a good thing. Hundred <laughs> um, percent. But uh, but at the same time, I hate being bored. Yeah, it's an uncomfortable feeling, and like yeah. everybody likes to be stimulated, but there is. I guess like a self, uh, I was going to say self-stimulation. I had to stop myself. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, you can, you can kind of entertain yourself. And then entertaining yeah. yourself, it's like you said, it's like the uh, the gateway to a lot of like creative ideas. Right. Well, and, you know, a lot of the, back to Black Mirror and, and all the um, depictions in pop culture of, of the current moment of computers a lot of it has to do with addiction and this feeling that yeah. we we are stuck and glued to our our devices um i wonder do you do you think that's true do you think that there is a, an internet addiction or oh, like yeah. a computer addiction i totally think i'm addicted to my device well it's <laughs> in the sense of like how many times have you had like that ghost ring or that ghost like the phantom like buzz you're like oh my god did somebody text me is like have i got an alert like what what is what is it i need to like find out what it is um, yeah well it's happened to me it's happened to me where i i think i feel a buzz and then i put my hand down to find it and my phone's in the other pocket yeah so it did nothing happen yeah no i think it's just like i think everybody's a little addicted in the same way that like you know like we have an obesity epidemic because like, you know, really tasty, bad for you food is like super available. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if like a large portion of the population, if not a majority of the population kind of like is on the worst side of just a, a unnatural, unhealthy uh, connection and uh, preoccupation with technology, specifically like all these like phones and stuff like that. Yeah. And the more that we make them beautiful and the more that we make incredible content for them, the harder it is to get away. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But then also, too, like the fact that those things are like uh, pretty heavily tied to social engagement, too. It's like you think about right. like Twitter and like what's trending on Twitter is like knowing that is like super important. Right. Um, and like affects like uh how you connect to um, other people and how you socialize. If you don't know what's going on, it's easy to know what's going on by like being connected. Right. No, that's true. And it's, it's true both face-to-face socialization, but it's yeah. also true in socialization that happens with your online self that, that it's sort of like, it's important to uh, be on the, cutting edge of whatever's happening on Twitter, especially on Twitter, or especially on Facebook. Whereas I think it's a little bit less important to be up on the newest, latest, greatest thing when you're speaking to somebody face to face. Yeah, that's true. There's a little bit of a tail on that end. But I think it's still kind of surprising, like in as much as like there is a gap by that. It's like it's certainly not what it was 
five years ago even. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's yeah, weird. look at the president, right? The president's number one method of communication, period, is Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like at a moment's notice, there's some news item that happens 24-7. <laughs> it's, it's kind of, uh, it, it is so, um, it's so hard to escape. <laughs> and it's so addictive. Like I, I, I you know, I'm interested when when I see a presidential tweet, or I'm, I I I can't look away sometimes, uh, and it's it, I think it's not just that it's the 24 hour news cycle. It's yeah. uh, so many things. They're just they're they're so damn entertaining. Like not in a not in a oh I want to see this, but oh I can't look away. So much of the world right now is oh I can't look away because something crazy is going to happen. Yeah, it's like a little bit of a train wreck mentality. Yeah. Um, which I actually think there's like a black mirror about too. There's like the teddy bear or something like that who like ends up being a political candidate just because the controversy and like the crazy thing that he is going to say becomes like compelling enough. Right. It's, uh, it's amazing how uh, some things in science fiction really do prefigure <laughs> what's happening yeah. in real life. You know, including, uh, President Camacho. Yeah. There's a reference to uh, Idiocracy, which is a great movie. That is a pretty great movie, yeah. Uh, one that I I haven't seen in a while, but I think uh, there's a lot of great things about it, but it's also kind of like like this weird thing of uh, all the intelligent people stop having kids, and it almost feels like eugenicist. It's a weird movie. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but it, it, especially in terms of what it had to say about uh, the dumbing down of society, it does feel prescient. Yes, definitely. Uh, well, yeah, certainly in the sense that like the that people are just as interested in somebody who has like. Well, yeah, because it's like style over substance, and it's pressure in the sense that like people like go for the flashier thing as opposed to like the measured thing that might be a more considered uh, solution to whatever social elms that they're like actually feeling. Right. Like you know, well, for like, yeah. Anyway. No, no. I mean, it's it's uh, it's tough not to get a little bit, um, a little bit depressed <laughs> about some of this stuff. It, I mean, the other hard part is that uh, talking about how great um, technology can be is not as good for storytelling, like saying, yep. oh my gosh, you know, technology has really democratized uh, education where people can go online and get free classes for things that they never would have ever heard before. Yeah. They can go on YouTube and learn about quantum physics and they never ever would have been able to learn that without getting a college degree or, or being at a university. And, you know, the fact that we can um, conduct international trade and we can, yeah. we can have teams that span the globe and, you know, that there's so much that is, incredible and, and fantastic about technology but it's so much easier to tell the negative story so do you think that that though is like a um more representative of like whatever the pessimism exists in the zeitgeist as opposed to something that's inherently true of like uh storytelling because there's like the dichotomy of there's a dichotomy too of like uh star trek right which star trek has always been at its core, something about um, the ability of technology to expand um, the frontiers of like human experience. And there's like cool things like the you know communicator, which is like the forerunner to the cell phone, or um, the basically like technology like is very rarely the bad guy in any of those episodes. And if anything, it's kind of like this building box that shows that like, oh my God, like the future is like this incredible place where we've developed all these things and we've like literally solved all these problems as far as like human suffering is concerned. We've created this egalitarian society. Um, and we've used technology to do it. 
And so, like, and that was just, I mean, it's just kind of an interesting counterpoint. And again, it makes me think that, like, oh, if is the issue really the storytelling, or it's just that people do not want to be optimistic about technology? That's a good point. Because, you know, that, that really was, uh, uh, the the technology was never or was sometimes the driver of uh the conflict but was often the solution to the conflict like yeah. you know sometimes sometimes there was like a an android who had gone amok or something but but often um you know they they would use like the transporter to save somebody or something it was there was this sense that technology was a savior um but the conflict would then in general come from politics and and the the difficulties yeah. between whatever the klingons and the federation like sure. there, there was the 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 driver of conflict in those stories was just happened to not so much be technology a lot of the time which is a good point like there is a certain techno optimism that is you know realistic and and good and I, have you ever read any of the books of Cory Doctorow, um, Little Brother, or uh, um, Pirate Pirate Cinema? Uh, Not at all. Uh, okay, he's he's cool. He, he um, he's one of the editors of the um, the blog Boing Boing, um, but okay. he uh, has a very optimistic version, in some ways, of technology. Like a very, I'll say realistic, but that that. Um, Hmm. Maybe not optimistic, but it very much points to the ways in which uh, free and open technology would be good for the world and the ways in which free and open technology is suppressed. That, you know, things like copyright and uh, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act kind of suppress all the good things that open source and uh, like uh, the open Internet allow. Um, they're they're very esoteric books sometimes, <laughs> but they're also <laughs> young adult books a lot of times. Very, yeah. very weird. Um, What's the author's name? Uh, Corey Doctorow. Um, he's an interesting guy. Kind of a I, I don't know if he's quite a techno anarchist or or something, but um, but a smart guy. Uh, he he does a lot of speaking and uh is is very much on the side of um people should own what they have instead of licensing it you know most most of the things that you own anything that has a chip in it is actually licensed because uh they own the code inside it which means that you can't open it up and tinker with it because of that digital millennium copyright act which is kind of a crazy law that i i'm not a fan of be, probably because of reading his work but yeah um yeah it's weird actually did you hear about um the john deere problem no that like Pretty farmers hard. farmer like farmers bought these john deere tractors but they have computer systems in them that um you know have to be serviced by john deere technicians because john deere wanted to make more money off of servicing their products Got it. But farmers have a long history of just fixing their own shit. <laughs> they they take care of it. So now they're not able to do that. And um, because the John Deere keeps invoking this Digital Millennium Copyright Act of DMCA of saying, oh, you, you don't have the right to repair this. And so there's a movement for right to repair for the ability to actually like repair like if you own something it should be yours but technically something like a tractor you can get sued for just fixing it well, it's kind I, of crazy yeah yeah it's insane yeah. but i guess it only makes it makes sense to if you have like what amounts to like hundreds of millions of like trailer tractor equipment like that's like lost revenue for the company if they don't pursue that legally oh yeah yeah, they make money off of it. They're not they they know what they're doing, but it it still feels like you know that 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 license shouldn't extend to the entire truck or or tractor. That it the licensing should just be the chip itself. 
um, or or really that if you can break the licensing, you should be allowed to because like you owe the thing. Yeah, you own the thing. You should be able to repair that thing, and and you know some of the digital rights management goes too far. Like it, it just doesn't. It's it's uh, backwards. Um, I don't know. I uh, I feel like I we've been talking for a while, and I I'm sorry. You know, I I uh, didn't have a, an exact theme for. Yeah, it, today, but I just wanted to, yeah yeah it is <laughs> um but i feel like i i should probably uh let you go but i, I wondered see, if you I wanted to it a, it's a good time because like literally my computer's on seven percent battery and i'm like flipping <laughs> <laughs> around with both hands but again it's been a good conversation anyway i'm interrupting no um but i was wondering do you want to do you have any like uh thing that you wanted to plug or you know if you wanted to put out your social media or some of your art that you would want to share yeah sure you can find me on instagram at uh searson that's uh c-e-e-r-s-o-n um it's uh really just uh silly pictures of my doodles and stuff like that um but you know hopefully i'll uh use that to put some of my art out there so that's nice. my only plug right now <laughs> no it's good it's a lot more fun to just throw out crazy random sci-fi theories than it is to do some of my normal work about data centers so i appreciate yeah, yeah. the diversion yeah totally yeah it's fun thank you for talking yeah thanks for having me that's it for good data Thank you for listening. I'd like to thank Christian Pearson and our sponsor, Greenlane Design. If you're interested in that free diagnostic, then please visit greenlanedesign.com and let them know that uh, you listen to the podcast. For good data, I'm Drew Farnsworth. I'll talk to you next time on the podcast. <laughs>